This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In 2023, this is what we have to deal with is standing up and knowing that it's fallen on deaf ears for this long. And we have to just live in fear of him. So she knows what he drives. She knows where he lives. It's very much a conversation talking point in our family to keep us protected. Oh, Cassie, thank you so much for coming on the program and sharing your story. Really appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much. That does it for us tonight. Banfield starts now. everybody and welcome to Tuesday. Um, I know one thing. Um, you have been inundated with news all day, all night, uh, out of Israel, hour after hour. And I do want to tell you that News Nation is continuing its coverage of the unfolding events in Israel. I will be here with a live shot ready to go. If there's breaking news, I'm going to bring all of the news your way. I do want you to know it is right now 5 a.m. in Gaza. And that's probably why that shot is like that. Relatively quiet overnight. But make no mistake, we're waiting for the next shoe to drop in this war. Because that's what it is. It's a war in the Middle East. And it could be colossal. Anything could happen, including a massive ground offensive in Gaza that could be launched uh, when everything is quiet. So we've got our eyes on the situation. I'm going to break in with coverage if this changes. But I am also going to continue with our true crime format that I know um, you have come to us for day after day. And I don't want to change that for you. And I actually do have a lot to get to regarding this true crime format, um, including the idea that kids in America, kids in America seem to be behaving in ways that they should not. And it seems to a lot of people that they are modeling their behavior after deplorable adults. And I say that because we're going to bring you a story in tonight's broadcast that makes me shudder with anger over a mother and her unbelievable recklessness and what she has caused for her 11-year-old son, who now has been through the process of being arrested. Make no mistake, the kid should be arrested for what he did, allegedly shooting two 13-year-olds. Did I mention he was 11? Shooting two 13-year-olds at the football practice. Where'd he get the gun? Look at him. See that? That's mom's car. That's mom's passenger door he's opening. That is mom's gun he's getting out of the passenger seat. And those are mom's bullets he's firing at two 13-year-olds. Both of them hit. One in the arm, one in the torso. So, yeah, I'm pretty angry at this. Kid's been charged. Mom, though? Not yet. Tick-tock. Day after day. Waiting. What kind of charge do you give a mom like that? That's a football practice. Unlocked door to a car and a gun that's loaded in the passenger seat. Her kid got it. Any of them could have. But her kid got it. And her kid allegedly fired it. And those two kids were shot. 13 years old, both of them shot. We're going to have a very robust conversation on what should happen to mom. 
what should happen to the kid? Yeah, but what should happen to mom? And I think I know how you feel. I know how some of you feel, that's for sure. That's coming in a moment. Also, Chad Daybell. Oh, yeah, remember that guy? (laughs) The other half of Lori Vallow? Yeah, he has not yet been tried. She is cool in her heels for life in prison, no parole. Chad hasn't been tried yet. Why is his trial taking so much longer? Why was he actually sitting in front of that brick wall today talking to a judge? Nice tie. Interesting. Conversation about the upcoming trial. And there is so much more that we are going to learn because his, tra- his charges are slightly different than Lori's. You're going to hear from uh, two of the alleged victims' family members, J.J. Vallow's grandfather and Tammy Daybell's Aunt Vicky. They're both on the air live with me tonight to talk about what that hearing was all about and seeing Chad Daybell like that before trial. Also, uh, we are still wondering what's going to happen with that manhunt for the redhead. Very little we know about the young man in his 20s who's a redhead who shot and killed a beloved dean of of Vermont University. Uh, She went for a hike. We seem to be saying that a lot lately, don't we? She went for a hike and never came back, but she was found 30 minutes later with a bullet in her head, dead. He's still out there. So the manhunt is still on, folks. And by the way, not far away is the university campus with a whole lot of kids that just came back from break. What about them? Are they safe? Is he one of them? Man in his 20s, red hair. I'm going to have a a live report, plus an exclusive interview with the police chief. I have so many questions uh, that I'm hoping can be answered. In the meantime, what about this street warfare? What about this street warfare in the, the, you know, we see these surveillance videos all the time, but we rarely see them with an 11-year-old shooter, right? We rarely see that. Tonight, that's the alleged case that an 11-year-old took a gun and because he was pissed off at two 13-year-olds, had a beef with them at football practice, he went to mom's car. Mom's car. Grabbed the gun and shot the gun at his two rivals, 13-year-old kids. 11. By my books, that's around fifth grade. I don't even know if my fifth graders could have lifted a gun when they were that young, let alone fired it, aimed it, fired it, knew it was loaded, clearly. So this was at the Pop Warner football practice in the Northwest Recreation Complex in Apopka, Florida. And uh, boy, do I wish there was sound on the surveillance video, but there isn't. What I can tell you, though, is that that boy, and I'm just going to call him a little boy, because at 11, you're still a little boy in my books. That little boy has been charged with second-degree attempted Murder. Second degree attempted murder. The, the shots, they landed. One kid, 13, go, got it in the arm. The other one got it in the torso, went into emergency surgery. There's kids all over the place. This was football practice, for God's sake. Who brings a loaded gun with their 11-year-old kid in the car and leaves it on the passenger side seat? Loaded, unlocked. Perfectly accessible for an angry 11-year-old who's having a problem with some of the kids at football practice. So I'm going to let you see the video. I'm going to have to do some narration. I'm going to zero in on it. I can't play sound because you're hearing it. You're hearing the sound. It's silent. So it starts. The video of the boy heading to the car. He opens the car door and he grabs for the gun. You can actually see an adult, presumably mom, uh, getting out 
from the driver's side and running around the car. But by the time she reaches the front uh, and reaches the boy, it's too late. The shot is already fired. And the woman grabs the boy and drags him back toward the car. But it's too late. Well, of course it's too late. If you're in the driver's side and the passenger door is open with a loaded gun on the passenger seat, you aren't going to be fast enough to clean up this filthy, disgusting, irresponsible mess. All I can say is that the 11-year-old, yes, but the mom is probably the luckiest woman alive right now that no one was killed. The kids weren't killed, but their lives are forever changed. The 11-year-old's life is forever changed for sure. He's the one that went to the, you know, went into the uh, booking system. The 13-year-olds, well, their lives are forever changed because at age 13, they've been shot by real bullets. And they've gone to the ER with real bullets. And the, one of them, shot in the torso, went into surgery with a real bullet. The one in the arm, luckily okay, but shot in the arm. The only shot you should get in the arm at 13 is a vaccination. And that's traumatic enough for kids. Who is this woman? Who are these parents? What are you thinking? For the love of God, America, it's okay to have a gun. It's okay to be responsible. It is not okay to let your 11-year-old do this. Just watch this. How can anyone watch this and not be as livid as I am? This is the distress call that one of the moms of one of those injured victims made to 911. And this time we do have sound. I know you're requesting medical adjacent dwelling, but what's which well, medical? medical my are you son on? got shot, man. Your son was shot? Okay. My son. And his back on that Jason Blurry part. I can't okay. get it out on earth. Okay, ma'am, I need you to stop and listen for me for a second. Where is he on Jason Dwelling? 11-year-old and the two 13-year-olds aren't the only victims here. You could hear the voice of that mother, right? How would you be? How would you be if you were calling for help after that? What would your voice sound like on 911 if it was your 13-year-old bleeding from a gunshot wound fired by an 11-year-old? This is, I, I hope this doesn't get you sort of 
top, you know, top of your head doesn't pop right off. But the, the shooter is allegedly, you know, he's only 11. And the age of criminal responsibility in Florida is 16. So what that means is there are no exceptions to that rule for kids under 14. He will not be tried as an adult in accordance with Florida state law. I'm not sure how many of us would want an 11-year-old tried as an adult into a jail cell with big men. I don't think we, I don't think we can really push all the blame onto an 11-year-old kid, right? The Apopka police chief, Mike McKinley, he said this was a societal problem. I want you to hear how he put it. Take a look. As a society, we need to reflect on this. We see this way too often in our society now of juveniles, young juveniles, and they're getting younger every day that have access to guns. But the more disturbing part is that they believe that that gun, that firearm, is a resolution to their problems. And it's not a resolution to anybody's problems. It just creates more problems for everybody involved, the victims, the suspects, these young kids. They're ruining their lives when they're making these bad decisions to use a firearm to end a dispute. So the 11-year-old got carted off to the Juvenile Assessment Center. And what I want to know, was the mom there while he was being booked? Was she standing beside him when he got his mugshot? Was she standing beside him when he got fingerprinted? When he changed into the jailhouse clothes? All that booking process that is so incredibly grown up. Was she wondering if she would be next? What was she saying to the kid? I'm so sorry I let this happen. Or was she silent, worried that she'd be overheard and her words would be used against her? What was she saying to the little boy who's going through a grown-up booking process? She is likely going to face a charge. Not yet, but she will likely. And it will likely be keeping an unlocked gun within reach of a child, a second-degree misdemeanor. A second-degree misdemeanor. What the F? I want to bring in Mark Garagos. He's a high-profile criminal defense attorney and the co-host of the podcast Reasonable Doubt with Adam Carolla. And Matt Murphy is a former prosecutor in Orange County, California, knows a few things about criminal punishment and, and where we are. Okay, I'm going to speak to you both. Garagos, I want to begin with you. Um, hmm. What do you... By the, by the, way, by the way, I haven't seen Matt Murphy in years. Well, there you go. Quite- he was an Orange County DA, so hello, Matt. You're still looking good, Mark. Well, I'm Thanks, glad man. I'm glad we could come together on this. Um, Garagos, I, first, I just want your reaction to this. I mean, you're a defense attorney, so I always expect you to be, uh, you know, easygoing. But something tells me you're not going to be easygoing on a mom who had a loaded gun in a car, presumably that she brought her 11-year-old to football practice in, sitting right there, passenger seat, easily accessible. Well, you know, normally I probably wouldn't, but I don't know. I haven't, you know, obviously we haven't heard from the mother. We don't know if the mother um, has been the victim of an assault before and that she was carrying it for her protection. So what? She, no, 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 Garagos. No, you can't say that. She had an 11 year old kid and there were all sorts of little kids around. So even her protection, you know, is secondary to making sure little children get to live. There are there is a world, Ashley, where mothers may have to protect not only themselves, but their children. And sometimes that means being armed. I mean, that's an an unfortunate world we live in. You know, I saw the police chief say that somehow this is, you know, maybe a symptom of the times. 
I, I can remember 25 years ago, we had that exact same kind of issue or thinking in California. We passed a prop back then, a three prop 21s ago, where we were charging juveniles uh, in uh, adult court at age 14. And so this is a problem that we have generation after generation after generation. I, don't I respect. Know that something, Look. I don't know I respect the criminal justice system is designed for. I respect what you say about a mom may have lit. Look, Dan Abrams just had a story about a mom who can't can't stop a freak from flying over her house in a Cessna and and you know stalking her regardless of how much court action she's taken. However, I get it. There has to be a reasonable way to keep your children safe from what just happened. And I think Matt you might have something to say about perhaps wearing the gun on your person when there are 11-year-olds in the passenger seat and then accessible through that uh, open passenger door. Well, this is a, this is a huge problem, obviously. Uh, if the facts pan out the way they appear, th- this really is on the mom. She, having a firearm is one thing. You have to be responsible with it. As you've noted, there is, Calif- or, uh, there is Florida law that uh, applies directly to the situation. You have to be responsible as a parent and you can't have a child under the age of 16 to have access to your firearm. It's got to be locked at all times. Clearly, if you look at this video, um, this little boy gets in there, and he is 11. And I agree, this is a, this is a child. You saw how fast he got it. Well, and to any police officer or anybody that's been trained in firearms, that's what's called a hot weapon. Okay, there's no safety on that, apparently. Or, or if there is, it's not engaged. That thing is ready to shoot. And, and Mark may be right. I, I haven't read anything. Could be she's got a stalker. Could be that um, she's got some really good reason to, to have that. She's still violating Florida law. And we haven't heard any of that. And if that's just a, a just-in-case weapon that an 11-year-old has access to, that woman is incredibly lucky that those two children, the other, the other kids that got shot, survived this. Otherwise, she could be looking at a situation like the Crumbleys in Michigan, where their son went, Ethan Crumbly, yeah. shot 11 people. They've been charged with uh, involuntary manslaughter, and they've been in custody for two years already. So this, another thing about that little boy, he was bound over in custody today. So because this woman... What do you mean by that? He was bound over in custody. So there was, a, there was a, a detention hearing held in juvenile court that was actually aired, and the, and the judge kept him in custody. So he didn't even he's get to go home. He's sleeping in jail. He's in jail, right? As an so, 11-year-old, he has right. spent almost a week in jail. Right. So you have you wow. have two two boys in, two <laughs> boys two boys in the hospital. One was released almost immediately. One is still in there. He's in critical care, based on what I read. This other little boy is is in custody, and it's it all comes down to this woman and irresponsible firearm ownership. So Garagos, jump in here about. Um, I was very frustrated by the actual charge. I mean, it just seems so small, you know. Uh, let me get it. It was in front of me a second ago. It, it frustrated me. Are you talking about the second-degree misdemeanor? Yeah, second-degree misdemeanor. It was keeping an unlocked gun within reach of a child. But I was looking for reckless endangerment, you know, endangering a child's life. And maybe those are to come, but no one has mentioned that. They've only mentioned this misdemeanor. And, and do you expect that that's all she will get? Or do you expect that she will have to face additional serious and maybe felonious charges? Well, Matt, I think hit on something. Uh, you know, the the law is kind of peculiar in one sense. Sometimes you never really get consequences unless there's a death, mm-hmm. and especially in situations like this where liability is not as clear cut as you would 
you know, either hope uh, that it could be. So um, I, she's fortunate in a lot of ways. And I, like I say, I would reserve judgment until I understand more of what the facts are with her. I know it's easy to get on and do a prosecutorial, uh, you know, gang on her, gang up on her. It is easy. It is easy. I'm sorry. I'm a mom. It is really, really easy. And that's a registered gun. So let me be clear. She had a registered gun, but that is no way to hold a gun. I have 20 seconds left, Matt. I just wonder if because of this kind of thing we're seeing more and more of, are legislatures going to change the way the laws are written? Are they going to start saying, hey, this second degree misdemeanor? No. We need something far more serious for parents. Well, this is one. Let's see. Let's see first if she's prosecuted. Let's see if she takes a hit for this. And then everybody will hopefully learn a lesson from it. Well, again, there is likely a charge coming, but it seems like a misdemeanor. And for me, it doesn't feel like a misdemeanor. That's my that's my question. Are we going to see legislatures getting way tougher on bad grownups? Hopefully. Hopefully, they, hopefully we have, look, there has to be a balance, especially with the Second Amendment. It's an incredibly complex issue. But hopefully this woman will, will be held responsible for this. I think it all boils down to her. Uh, uh. Well, um, I'm going to keep on the story. I thank you so much, both of you, Mark Garagos, Matt Murphy. Um, hmm. Stay tuned and come back when we find out what she will be charged with. Appreciate it, guys. Nice to see you, Mark. Yeah, it's good, good to get you, you two together. Nice to see you both back together again. Bands back together. All right, coming up, Chad Daybell. Back in the news, marched before a judge just this afternoon. And things are ramping up for his big day before he's going to face an actual jury, too. I get it. He's not quite as famous as the other half, Lori Vallow, doomsday cult mom, now cooling her heels, serving life in prison. But make no mistake, his charges are pretty much the same as hers. For the murder of Dam- Tammy Daybell, his late wife, and J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan, his current wife's two kids, Tammy's aunt and J.J.'s grandpa. Live with me after the break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So Chad Daybell had a pretty crappy day today. That's my assumption. Um, Or maybe it was a good day. I only say that because life is really, really boring when you're sitting in a jail cell year after year. So anytime you get to put a tie on, and do a little bit of movement out of your cell, even if it's to the room where you're going to do a Zoom, um, maybe that's a good day. Certainly a different day, right? He saw the judge today. It was like a status hearing. And I know you're probably wondering, hold the phone. Um, Lori Daybell, his wife uh, and co-defendant, so to speak, she's already been convicted of killing Chad's wife, I guess we should say late wife. Um, he, she's already be conv- been convicted of helping to kill his, his late wife, Tammy, and then she married him. Uh, and she's already been convicted of being part of the killing of her own two kids, which Chad is alleged to be, you know, part of. Why is his trial taking so long? Like, she's gone, right? Except for all these appeals and business. But why is his taking so long? 
Her conviction was first-degree murder, conspiracy to murder. Okay? His charges are murder of Tylee and JJ, murder of his late wife, Tammy, conspiracy to murder all three victims, and then also insurance fraud for good measure. They were all still collecting all the insurance money after the deaths, right? Here's a little difference when it comes to Chad. Number one, he did not waive his right to speedy trial. She did, and it didn't work out so well for her. A speedy trial meant speedy off to jail forever. No parole. Um, he did not, so he gets more time to prepare. Also, they weren't tried together. They were severed, so he could do that. He is also facing the death penalty, folks. Remember how Lori was and then suddenly wasn't? Well, he is facing the death penalty because Lori got a lucky break. Death penalty was taken off the table for her because there was some shenanigans with the, with the attorneys and the discovery. Um, defense was angry that the prosecutors hadn't given the discovery in a timely manner, and poof, went away the death penalty. Away went the death penalty. So how are the families preparing for all of this? Because it's one thing to go through it. It's another thing to go through it again. I want to welcome back to the show Vicki Hoban. She is Tammy Daybell's aunt. And also Larry Woodcock, J.J. Vallow's grandfather. I like to say J.J. and Tylee's grandfather, but blood grandfather and real grandfather uh, as well. Thank you both uh, for, for being here. And I'm sorry that we're meeting again under these circumstances. It's, it's always just, it's frustrating and it's upsetting uh, for you and I think also for the rest of us who have to bear with the pain that you guys are, are dealing with. Vicki, 71 days ago, you, you spoke so powerfully at Lori's sentencing. And it was just after your sister, Lori's mom, had passed away. I don't know how you summoned the courage. How are you all doing knowing that you kind of got to gear up for it all again? <sighs> Um, you know, I don't think that anybody has really like, uh, it's, it's weird being kind of in it because you don't really ever, you know, put the brakes on. You're kind of, oh, you're in that kind of fight or flight. Larry, my dear friend can probably relate to what I'm saying. Um, it's every morning you wake up and it's there. Um, and I think that, um, you know, we've stayed in touch. There's some uh, things that, you know, kind of move, moving around since my sister passed away. Um, and we've also, um, you know, we've had also been in mourning for her. Um, that's far from being over. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're just putting one foot in front of the other and trying to get through every day. And, um, you know, like like everybody else in the world probably is watching these little steps. And today another one and kind of opens the book again and refreshes it. It's like ripping the bandaid off again. Yeah. But I think we're always kind of in that place where it's always on the back of our minds. I think, I think you describing it as ripping the bandaid off again, Larry, I feel like you have described it that way to me, maybe not in so many words, but that you've had to do this so many times, so many hearings, and now so many trials. I say that for you, Larry, because unlike your, and I'm glad, Vicki, that you called him your friend. It, it warms my heart to know that you are bonded in this in this it, way together. My, my brother from another mother. I love him. Oh, gosh, that makes me feel good. In a strange way, the connection between you, I, I hate that you are connected that way, but I love that you are beautifully connected. Um, but Larry, 
Unlike Vicky, you not only have the trials in Idaho, you have additional trials for Lori uh, that are upcoming. So it's like this is one more step, but not the final step for you. How are you processing this with your family? Well, first of all, Ashley, thank you for allowing us to be back on. You turned into such a good friend. And Vicki, it's always so great to see you. I love your smile. And tell Jim hello for me. And Ashley, your question is, you know, it, it's hard. Uh, Kay has been going through some extremely intense uh, therapy. She's had a, an extremely hard time. And it hurts. It hurts my heart. And we look forward, uh, I do, and Kay does, we look forward to this next trial. And we're seeing some parallelism already uh, from the judge. And I think Judge Boyce did an outstanding job uh, on Lori's trial. And I, I certainly hope that uh, his the way that he presides over the trial continues. And I know there is, we know now there is so much evidence. Uh, I don't see anything other than an outcome similar to what Laurie has at minimum for his involvement. And, and it's like I've said since the get-go, all we want is an fair, honest, righteous trial. That's all we can ask for. And the one thing, you know, no matter <clears throat> no matter what, none of this is going to bring Tylee back. None of this is going to bring JJ back. And none of this is going to bring Charles back. And and certainly it's not going to bring Tammy back, you know, as, as it's just, it's just been hard for all of us, but we're hoping that this next trial will put a little more finalization in this. We still have two more trials after Charles, after Chad's trial. I'm sorry. And, uh, I was I was hoping that this would move along a little bit quicker than it has, but I honestly feel like that we're going to get a very fair, honest, and, and, and righteous trial. Well, listen, Larry, you never have to apologize to me or anybody else if you are emotional about this. You deserve every... Uh, opportunity to be emotional given what you have been through, what you're going through now, and what you continue to go through. Um, I feel the same way for you, Vicki. Both of you uh, are in our hearts, our thoughts, our prayers. I will continue to follow this case, and I will continue to let the public know about what justice looks like. Um, for Chad Daybell, thank you both, and God bless to you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we will Vicky, talk soon. We love you. Tell Jim we love him. We love you too. 
hug Kay for me. Only, I know she's going through a hard time. Yeah. The only thing I regret on the trial today, on the hearing today, is that the judge didn't release those children's body. That's all we want now. Well, listen, uh, it's not the last hearing. There are more hearings coming up. Um, I'm glad we had the opportunity to put the two of you together. And, um, and like I said, we will do this again. You are always invited and you are always welcome here. Thank you, Larry Woodcock and Vicki Hoban. Well, bye, Vicki. Bye, Ashley. Bye to the both of you. You know, it, sometimes in true crime reporting, um, you have to remember, these aren't just stories. They are nightmares for real people who are really suffering and the suffering goes on a long, long time. And so um, I talked to Ethan Chapin's mom today about that. And that's what she told me, that sometimes people just forget that it isn't just a headline, it's not just a story. And I'm glad that you were able to see the communication between my last two guests. Okay, um, I still have more coming up. In fact, we are well past the critical 48 hour in the window for that manhunt for the killer in Vermont. It's now been five days since a retired college dean just set out for an innocent hike and never came back. Our exclusive interview with the police chief on the mysterious murder of Honoré Fleming. It's next. There's a killer on the loose. I'm getting kind of tired of saying that, but there is a killer on the loose in Vermont... Do you remember when we were talking about Maryland? Because that killer still hasn't been found either. There's a manhunt for a hiker, a, mur- a, a man who murdered a hiker in Maryland, a mother of five. Now there's a manhunt for the killer of the dean of a university in Vermont. Still haven't found him either, and it's been five days. That worries me on a number of levels. All the people nearby in Vermont, especially the campus that's just minutes away, filled with kids. And after five days, you can kind of be in any state. So the manhunt, theoretically now, is your problem too. Not just Vermont's. My problem, your problem. Who killed Honoré Fleming? She was just out for a walk. And 30 minutes after she was shot in the head, someone came across her body. They did get a description though. And it's a weird one. White male, late 20s, short red hair. 5'10", last seen wearing a dark t-shirt, black backpack, armed and dangerous. Uh, There should be a lot more to this. Because the police, you would assume, are on a all-points bulletin. And the chief spoke exclusively to News Nation's national correspondent, Alex Capriello. He has this breaking news exclusive interview. He is live with me right now outside of the campus at the Vermont State University. What did you learn from the police chief? Yeah, good evening, Ashley. Really, for me, it was all about pressing the police chief. Does it really feel as if progress is truly being made in this case? Because after a few days here in Vermont, I'm asking both students and the people who live in this town, does it feel like it? And they'll tell you flat out, it really doesn't feel like we're seeing much progress here. This is worrying to them. They feel like there's a killer still on the loose. So I had a chance to ask him that point blank directly. I also wanted to find out what his gut tells him about where this killer might be. And then finally, as you mentioned, the eerie similarity that we're seeing from this case to other unsolved murder cases on trails across America. Let's take a listen. 
Are you feeling positive about the way that this investigation yeah, is going? I am actually feeling very positive. I mean, I'm, I'm there talking to them and seeing where everything's at. I'm seeing the progress that they're making. With the state police, they choose not to reveal a play-by-play, which is that's their investigation. How frustrating is it when you don't have a suspect, you don't have very a Very frustrating. Part of it is you take it personal. This is, a, this is a community I love. This is a community that has supported us. I know a lot of the people here. It's frustrating that, you know, they want a play-by-play. Okay, what are you doing today? What are you doing? I can't really talk about it. I really can't blame the people of Castleton or these students for letting their minds wander and feeling a little nervous that, you know, we don't know if this was random. We don't know if this is targeted. And so that's how gossip and that's how speculation starts happening. Well, that's what happens when people are stressed. Fear can control them a little bit. I don't want fear to grip them. I don't want them to feel like they can't go outside. Given her high-profile position at the university, this could be a former student or someone that might have known her, had a vendetta of some sort. It's a possibility. Right now, anything's a possibility. Could be, is it random or is it targeted? Can't say. Are investigators looking into the possibility that this homicide might be connected to any other murders that have happened on trails? One case that comes to mind is Rachel Morin. I think they're so focused on vetting everything out here and, and making sure that they have every piece of evidence or any kind of video footage and they've exhausted it. Then maybe it expands. What does your gut tell you about the whereabouts of the suspect? I don't know if I believe the person's here in this town. But I, I, I believe they're around. And obviously, Ashley, the Castleton police chief, feels very strongly about this case because this is his town. But this is a Vermont State Police investigation. They are the ones leading it. And there's one other important note I want to bring up to you. Today, while I was walking on campus, a student approached me and told me that Vermont State Police troopers are actively looking for him and other students simply because he was here on campus over the weekend, which tells me uh, a little bit about how this investigation is going. To me, that says that these uh, police troopers don't really have any good hard leads right now and so they're just cold calling students hoping that they might have one little bitty detail that might help break this thing wide open something that they didn't know before but they're actually going up to students by name and hoping that they have information or and they wouldn't tell us this they have a 20 year old suspect someone in his late 20s and might that person be a student so alex thank you great job in getting that exclusive interview thank you for that really appreciate it Thanks, Ashley. Alex Capriello, live uh, at the Vermont State University campus. I also want to mention, folks, if you know anything about this, call the Vermont State Police. The number's on your screen. Take a screen grab. Take a shot of your TV, 802-773-9101. I know you can't memorize that. It's too difficult. So quick shot of, uh, of that, that picture right there, 802-773-9101. These things get solved by people like you. Takes a village. All right, coming up. Uh, This was a huge day in the Gabby Petito case, one that many people thought would never come. Today, Gabby's parents came face to face with Brian Laundrie's parents. This is the first time it's happened in two years. And for the first time in two years, Brian's father, Christopher Laundrie, had to answer some real tough questions about what he knew regarding Gabby's death and when he knew it. That's next. This was a hell of a day for Gabby Petito's mom and dad. Nicole Schmidt, 
and Joe Petito came face to face with Brian Laundrie's dad. If you can believe it, in two years, that has not happened. But they are suing the Laundries based on what they say was intentional infliction of emotional distress. They say the Laundries knew that their son had killed their daughter, right? They knew that, that Brian Laundrie, their son, had killed the Petito's daughter, Gabby, and refused to answer their questions when the, when the Petitos were simply saying, where's our daughter? We can't find her. Where is she? What do you know? So in the deposition, Joe Petito is in the room with Christopher Laundrie, Brian's dad, right? Brian's long dead, found dead in the park. Shot himself, easy way out, after killing Gabby. And Nicole Schmidt, Gabby's mom, is watching the whole thing on Zoom. So she's part of it, right? And this is what Joe said. He described Christopher's Laundrie's testimony as gut-wrenching. And Nicole Schmidt said, quote, it was extremely hurtful to listen to someone that has no remorse and no compassion for the girl they would call their daughter-in-law. Remember, Gabby was engaged to Brian. She'd even lived with the Laundries at one point. She and Brian lived with the Laundries. Roberta Laundrie, that's Brian's mom, she is set to be deposed tomorrow. Cassie Laundrie, that's Brian's sister, she's set to be deposed after that. So... Gabby's parents are going to have to go through this a few more times, but that trial, that civil trial, is uh, expected to um, happen May 2024. Intentional infliction of emotional distress. God bless the Petitos for having to go through this. I'm sure it's been very hard on the laundries. They lost a son too, but it was unforgivable not to tell the Petito family anything while they suffered in silence about their daughter. Still to come. They called it their September 11th. What happened in Israel this week with more than a thousand Israelis killed, over a hundred taken hostage by Hamas terrorists. That has been blanketing the news. They say this is their September 11th. And all the while, something quietly disturbing was happening here. Recognize that? That's New York's memorial that marks the massacre that happened on September 11th, 2001. After the break, we will show you video of a man desecrating that sacred ground. And we're going to tell you why perhaps we maybe, just maybe, should not be outraged. That's next. The 9-11 Memorial in Manhattan is many things um, and it serves many purposes. But above all, it's a place of peace, which made what happened there yesterday um, all the more shocking. A 33-year-old man climbed over the edge of the North Reflecting Pool, and while horrified onlookers watched, he jumped 30 feet down into the shallow water. Somehow he got up, bloodied, gash on his head, then wandered over to the deeper inner reflecting pool, the, the dark abyss, and dropped head first into what is called the central void. is a um, 20-foot drop, and the water at the bottom is just 18 inches deep. Somehow, he survived. Uh, he was rescued by the fire department. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. 
Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.